Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're sitting around the kitchen table in Boogahola, North Carolina, with Jeff and Angie Sundell, recently returned from their mission to Athens. Several times we heard them say, God brought me here so that I could hear the story of Jesus. That was why I had to endure all this, and it was so worth it. There was this woman, she was actually a midwife in Iran, and she had started asking questions about Christianity. Mm -hmm. So she was not a believer at that point, but just the fact that she was curious and asking questions, um, she, the police started just asking her questions on why she was curious and actually shut her business down um, so she couldn't see any patients. And then, I'm not quite sure exactly how this happened, but they lost their house um, whether it was her lack of a job or whether um, it was a political move. So they lost her house, lost her business. And so her husband just said, we need to get out of here because they were threatening to arrest her, although she was, like I said, not a believer yet. So they paid a lot of money to a smuggler um, because they also had two children. And so the smuggler got all of them out, but took every bit of money that they had. It was over $20,000 that they could just get their hands on. And they made it to Turkey and then um, by boat to Greece. And there, of course, she started asking questions again of um, some people there that were working on, just tell me about Jesus. What what, who is he? Why did he have to die? What is all this that I keep hearing? And so one of the national leaders was able to share the gospel with her. And she was just primed and just ready to believe. Her husband also believed, um, as did their oldest son. Their other son is a little bit young yet. But while we were there, um, actually visiting this particular area, all three of them were baptized while we were there. So that was really neat to hear their story, but yet see that culmination. And that is when they had said, this is all worth it. Every, losing our house, losing our money, you know, we because they don't have anything um, except the clothes that they could carry with them to come over. So they have no possessions whatsoever, no money. And But they said, this is worth it. This is why. God brought us out because we wouldn't have heard otherwise. Where, where were they from? Iran. That day that um, they they had come to faith and where they were baptized, um, when uh, he was baptized, I remember him, you know, just raising his arms to the air and um, celebrating. But then he um, baptized his wife, mm-hmm. and um, that night. Um, there were six or seven people um, baptized, but we went back to have a little just celebration um, meal with uh, some uh, 
Greek pizza, I guess you'd call it, and Coke, uh, Coca-Cola and stuff. And so we're sitting around, and um, and all of them, the, the interesting thing is all of them will say, hey, it was bad where we came from, but the conditions we're in now are horrific. You know, in, in this particular island, it's overcrowded, and a lot of... Uh, uh, struggles between different factions inside the camps and um uh so they were sitting around sharing and one of the men um shared that um he said uh as they were just finishing up pizza we'd sang a worship song had done a little taken a little time to pray and this one man said he said you you now are my family and he was pointing around to the other families there um single guys and of this one small family and um he said you are my family and they just started spontaneously sharing testimonies of how this was their new family and then the interesting thing is then they said we want to meet together every day and learn more about the bible and and we want to study and learn more about who Jesus is and we can see now it was hard where we were at. And actually where we're now at now is very hard, if not harder, where we're at. But we want to um, uh, learn more about Christ and how to walk with Christ. And one of those, the, actually the one man who, um, the interesting thing is we didn't, we didn't say that was a church at that particular time. I was sitting there going, man, we had to do the Lord's Supper and set, call this as a church. But we, we didn't do that. But, I mean, essentially, they took the form of a church because they're saying, you know, if you look at the different things inside a church of how you describe a church, it's about it's about family. And it's structured. The whole picture is, is about the family of God. And so there's here's this literally this picture of the family of God emerging um, literally moments after coming out of the, the, the waters of the sea and baptism. And um, and so they're. Um, since then, uh, one of these gentlemen has led several other people to Christ, you know, and so this is just in a few short months, you know, they're, they're already beginning to, and, and, you know, early on, I remember the the leader was a little discouraged because he's like, man, they're not sharing the gospel, right? They don't have it all right. Mm. But you know what? They were sharing, you know, and then you keep working on it and coaching them. They're essentially doing some model assist watch, leave with him and modeling for him and assisting him how to do it. But since then, this gentleman actually has led several people to Christ and baptized them. And uh, that happened in the last couple of weeks. So it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing to hear how the suffering, um, in, in spite of all the suffering, and I listen to, the, you know, you listen to stuff they go through and you're just like, I have no idea how they could endure that. And then on the other side, they're looking at, but it was all worth it to come to know Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're working on, as they're discipling, putting in the mind, you're leaving here as a a church planner, you're leaving here to go share the gospel. You're leaving here to go make disciples, and you're not going to um, go and just disappear. You're going to go and literally um, plant a church, and then um, a number of the leaders um, working on developing systems to do um, almost like Skypeship or um, Zoomship, where they're using online type things after these folks leave that they can literally follow up with them and continue to disciple them and begin crisscrossing and. Europe and training and equipping them to um, plant churches. So that's literally happening. The other, the other exciting thing is um, uh, some of them, um, the leaders there, are casting vision to them to possibly go back to their own countries and go back and go back to share the gospel, make disciples and plant churches. And we can't say where they've gone to, but there's actually a number of examples now people um, chose to go back. And, um, and they, they went back feeling called 
to go back to their country and um, to reach their family and friends and neighbors. And um, so it's, it's really exciting. So it's not only is it going into Europe and potentially um, what God's doing there and the future churches that will come out of that and the multiplying disciples that come out of that, but it's also funneling back into the Middle East and North Africa, which um, the exciting thing is what if um, more and more of that becomes a norm of what, what God could um, continue to do through that, which he's already um, how he's using uh, it's one of those difficult things of understanding with the suffering and the difficulty, but yet in the midst of that, how God is using that in um, amazing ways through his grace, through these people's lives, that um, it's hard for us to comprehend the suffering and difficulty they've been through, but yet seeing the um, the joy that a number of them have embraced this calling and said, man, I am called to reach my nation, to reach my people. And you know, one of the things that um, and I know you guys have experienced this is the discouragement when you reach a Western European and then you try and, you know, or even a, a pre-existing Christian, you know, to get them broken for lostness and to try and get them to start praying for their friends and they're willing to do that. And, but then the willingness to share, but man, it was, it would never, when we would ask, how can we pray? And pray for my family. And you see the brokenness immediately for their family and how desperately they wanted their family back in their country to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can't, um, man, when that is already existing in somebody's heart, it's so amazing how God can use that. Because that's what reminds me of South Asia, is that's what happened as soon as somebody came into the kingdom. There was this hunger to immediately go back and share the gospel. And so we saw that over and over again, which was really encouraging because you you can't you can have great methods and tools but you can't create that heart mm. that heart is something god already put in there so it was really exciting to see that in uh, the men and women's hearts for sure mm. i think one of the brothers um uh you know again can't share his name but um he said over and over again, he said, you know, we hear so much negative about what's happening, say, in Europe because of um, Islam or whatever. And he, he said, I want you to tell everybody in the West and you tell the Christians there's good things happening, that God's moving. And so I think one is that that's the that's the overall message is God is using this moment and, you know, so it's really interesting when you look at, you know, sort of the bedrock of the early church planning of the first century after Christ, um, that incredible move of God then. Um, and you literally have the, 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 the people traveling here and there to plant the church. Well, now you have literally people being brought in to literally hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, be discipled and become a church planner and then spun out all over. So it's almost like a reversal of what you see in the book of Acts. But yet God's using the same region um, to literally spread the gospel all over. I mean, if you were to go from literally that Jerusalem to Elycrium and you go all the way down to the into Africa and then swing all the way up into Europe and um, there, there's no place in that area that is not being affected by this. And so, yeah, there's a negative narrative of what Hmm. some of the things that have happened, but there's this incredible um, narrative that God is painting of people coming into the kingdom and um, crisscrossing the globe and becoming future gospelers, disciples, and church planners. And so um, it's, you know, in one, it's a unique opportunity because you don't know how much longer it will last. It's, it slows down at times and speeds up. 
but it is an opportunity. So I think one is is having the right mindset. So let, let's stop looking at it as all negative. And and um, and part of it is is the Great Commission. We're told to go and make disciples, and we're we're told to be go and get involved in that, not live in fear and par- being paralyzed. And so I think you know it's just an incredible opportunity. And um, I know we've been sort of biding our time for the last couple of years here in the U.S. and just our season where we were at and watching this situation and um, really didn't have any plans of um, being involved in this. We planned to sort of go back to Asia. And then we felt um, very clearly uh, last year um, we were watching a, a video called Lucify, which was showing all of the refugees flooding into North Africa, from North Africa and Middle East into Europe. And um, God just really put it on our heart that um, we were to be involved. And we thought, man, that's not really what we had planned, what we wanted to do. Um, sorry, you know, it's just like Europe's not like my favorite place to go in the world. I love Asia. I love the third world. and um, But just that sense of God said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm I want you to go. And when what God put on our heart was to train and equip a thousand leaders, not for going into Europe from this area, but actually to go back into North Africa, Middle East. And so, um, and we felt very on a personal level, this has nothing to do with anybody else, but we felt very affirmed in that um, one from some of the national brothers and sisters we met as far as an affirmation of that's what we're supposed to do on a personal level. But on, on another side, just, um, we felt really um, a, a release that this is what we're supposed to do for the next season mm-hmm. of our life. And and I know that's not for everybody, but it's just, um, it does look like there's a, for the foreseeable future, there's a season right now where we have a, a place that's open that we can share the gospel. We have a place mm-hmm. that's open. We can disciple. Mm-hmm. We can equip people to plant churches. We can practice and be church in this place, these places in Europe. But what if there's something that triggers um, a number of these folks going back into North Africa, Middle East? Will we be ready? Will we have people um, in place, trained, equipped, that they could go back to their homelands and know how to share the gospel? They could get involved in disciple. They could be planting churches back in their homelands. And um, so we're trusting and believing that that's, that's somewhere in the next coming season as it continues to flood this way. But we feel like somewhere down the road, there is going to be a push back the other direction. And like I said earlier, we're already seeing some examples of that happen. But what if um, something caused a greater push, you know, and, and I don't know what that is, but you, you know, I've, we've gone to bed a couple nights and um, went to bed under a king and woke up the next day and the king's and his family's gone and, you know, been woke up went to Nabed one night and it was a democracy and woke up the other night and it was a, a communist regime in a country. So, you know, God can change things instantly. And um, so who knows, you know, what's going to happen, but we just really feel like God's, um, we need to be in this season focusing in on here, raising up leaders with the focus of North Africa, at least. Definitely. Um, you know, I think the, the big key piece of this is really the national brothers and sisters as always, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, uh, Asia or um, uh, anywhere you go in the world. The, the key is those. Uh, now, the interesting thing in this case is it's sort of reversed because they're, these are people who are not from the local country being forced into that country, but it's their, it's their people. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely a hunt there, whether you find somebody who's a pre-existing believer or somebody who came to Christ on the way or somebody who comes to Christ there. 
and then essentially, yeah, equipping and uh, bringing focus to that to get them back and focusing on their people, whether here, Europe, or back in their homelands. So, you know, I can't say any people I know in the U.S., as far as the guys I work closely with, ever said, hey, let's go out and start a hub strategy. Um, it was more of we ran into some folks in um, L.A. Um, who were um, more or less doing like a residency type thing to train, equip people to go overseas. And um, and just through doing some training with them and equipping, this was Troy actually who was out there and some others, and um, just sort of got turned on to the idea of hey these these residencies could be really helpful. Now we were thinking residencies so we can reach American cities, and so began to do that. And, and what we found is it was there was something powerful about somebody committing to be part of like a residency for a season and, and digging in for a year and just saying, man, I'm going to get trained, equipped. I'm going to put X amount of time in a harvest. And it's literally they're, 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 they're literally signing their life to say, this is what I'm going to go do for a season. And, and then doing it, uh, with some friends and doing it as a team. And, um, and so we've seen, you know, residencies, um, multiply. So I'd love to say it was somebody's grand scheme or idea or strategy. I think it was more of, Hey, here's what God was already doing. And you see what he's doing. And then, and then you're tweaking as you're going and you're learning as you're going on the way. And, and then in the midst of that, it's just, um, there, there becomes a natural hunger that people want to, not all people are called to the U.S. Some are called overseas, and um, some are called to other cities in the U.S. or or in North America, whatever it may be. And so that naturally um, led, and there was already this idea put out by, um, you know, I think Steve Smith and Stan Parks had maybe written an article on the hubs. I think it was Steve and Stan, um, and this idea. And uh, But the big thing in the U.S. is, man, we really wanted to keep, with no place left, we we wanted to keep focused on multiplying disciples, multiplying churches. We're not here for the sake of mobilization, but the outcome of multiplying disciples and multiplying churches should be mobilization locally and globally. And so through, um, through the midst of that, um, so we've just been determined that we will not be, um, mobilization movement. We will be movement to mobilization. So we will keep the focus locally that it is the idea of we uh, we can't cause movement but we can um share the gospel make disciples mm-hmm. pray be out loving our neighbors and and do those basic things of the faith and then leave the results up to god that's in his sovereignty and his hand but in the midst of that he's allowing some places to see some multiplication and multiplication of churches and out of that though is there's people being mobilized and now the the idea is then mobilize them into a hub where um, so they leave equipped and um, at least equipped to a certain level, much more than I was equipped. You know, when I when I, I left and went overseas, um, I think I had to have won somebody to Christ in the previous year was my requirement, and then and some seminary classes. You know, and that was all good, but I didn't know how to make a disciple. I'd never mm-hmm. been involved in church planning. I never helped um, figure out how do you find a leader out of the harvest. How do you um, disciple a leader? How do you train equip leaders? How do you train churches? Never done any of that. Well, now you're talking about sending people and then you're actually not going to necessarily cut them loose. You're actually going to send them into a hub where they can now work, learn to work with national partners who are already seeing some level of multiplication 
And so if you, you know, you take a place like Athens where there is discipleship multiplication and some church multiplication going on, and you can have somebody come in and learn on the job. And, and you can learn on the job. You know, how do you learn some language? How do you, how do you team together and not kill each other? So how do you team together and have healthy teams? How do you have healthy rhythms? And so one of the things we got to do this summer that was fun is we got to work with a small team there. Um, we worked with a team in Athens and some of the nationals and the expats and a team from the outside who are all came out of residencies, leading residencies, all leading hubs. And we just got to essentially spend a season practicing a rhythm together. So how do you be church together? How do you do Matthew 18 together and, and stay healthy? How do you pray together? How do you fast and pray together? How do you train together? How do you work together? How do you keep the momentum um, going? And, um, and at the same time, how do you solve problems together? How do you have healthy relationships with nationals? So I think that's going to be the exciting thing about these hubs is instead of we can actually have people coach somebody into how do you have, how do you have a healthy relationship with a national and how do you not blow that up? How do you honor that relationship? How do you honor the team? And, um, you know, and, and we know in, in the idea with the teams, the, the tendency is lean and mean, you know, so this is, we're talking about two to three units in a hub being the core who might receive two to three units, train them for a season. And then the idea is then spin them to a new place. So for example, we can see in Athens of spinning a hub out um, after they have a season in Athens of learning and being equipped, spin them out to one of these islands. And that could be a focus for a hub or could be spinning them out into another place um, like Italy or Spain where they're receiving a number of the refugees and, and establish a hub. But they actually had practical experience in the U.S., practical experience here. Then the other really cool thing is you're seeing disciples multiply out of Athens is what if you follow the relationship or what if some of those guys, um, once they get some paperwork, end up in some of those receiving places and become the bedrock and the core of that local team. So you have, when I say that, I'm talking about an Arabic speaker or a Persian speaker or Urdu speaker, and they're the front lines down in Spain and uh, Italy of the work in the hub, and they're the core of that team also. So it's not just only talking about mobilizing um, Western Europeans, we're talking about it's, it's also mobilizing and being intentional with what God's already doing through the multiplication of following those relationships and then building around those relationships to continue multiplying disciples and multiplying churches. So hubs into Europe, but also hubs back into the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. Yeah, essentially, again, just looking at following... Um, relationships and um you know and, and, and what i mean by this if you know some folks come to christ and get discipled and have a desire to go back to their country and it makes sense you know uh you know from a security standpoint if it just makes sense that you'd want to do that then then essentially could be establishing some type of a hub or it might be an all-national hub of um folks from that country uh, together working in that hub working with other more arm's length people groups in that type of hub and so that would be um, part of that but again it's really more just about following relationship and being intentional to keep building momentum around the relationships but also around um, you know what God is doing and having those right tools and um, uh, methods so sort of common tools common language common process because we think that's one of the 
things that could be really helpful when we think about coalition into Europe and we think about hubs along the Mediterranean or other areas is if we have common language, common tools, common processes, it'll make it much easier to hand relationships off and build hubs out and um, and then build out coalition, say, into Europe. You don't necessarily build hubs all the way up into Europe, but you can build coalition through existing relationships that are already there if you had the common language, common tools, common processes, and just had that level of trust. And so that's, um, just feel like that's going to be one of the key pieces of this whole, um, um, just just the whole piece of what God's doing. And, and there's lots of people trying this lots of different ways. And we're just one of the others, you know, giving it a go just because we see God moving and excited to partner with, you know, what, what uh, others and what God's doing in the midst of that. So, and so the um, community, just God's community, wherever you go, just amazes me. Um, but even in Athens, seeing these national leaders who are from these various countries um, across the Middle East and North Africa, even countries that are warring against each other, but they have a love for each other that is amazing. I mean, it's that love that Jesus talked about. You will, they will know, the world will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And I think this is the first time that I've really seen that love and how it supersedes what governments are doing and the wars that are going on. There's a love and a camaraderie among these guys um, that is just a blessing. I mean, they pray for each other whenever one of them has a baptism or someone comes to Christ or something has happened. All the other ones just pipe in. That is great. I'm so happy. Praise the Lord is using you. And they're just such an encouragement to each other. Um, but we, we actually spent a, almost a month observing this time. So um, in, in the circumstances were right. You know, most of the time you can't do that. But we literally just observed for a month. We just followed the guys around and watched. And so it was really amazing what you could learn sheerly through observation. Because the reality is in a setting that we're talking about, there is no good language, you know. And, and I know as missiologists, you know, your, your language and culture is real important. And, uh, well, you know, Urdu, I can follow 60% maybe. And we can talk a little bit, you know, but not. But for the most part, mm. it was pure observation. But it was really, well, I'll give you an example. One night we watched um, some seekers being trained by a six-month-old believer who had a two-year-old believer who was um, assisting him, and then a seven, no, a nine-year-old believer um, who was watching him. Well, that's, that is awesome, because they're doing model assist, watch, and leave, and, and we actually saw that in numerous places. So that was one of those really, you know, observations you looked at, and you go, wow, that's that's amazing that you're doing a good job on that. We also observe that, um, you know, when we're thinking about reproduction, we want simple biblical reproducing. What we saw was extremely, you know, biblical and very solid training materials. And it was probably a little too much, you know. And so the, the challenge then was to talk to our brothers and just go, man, what your material is spot on. And you're doing such an awesome job with model assist, watch and leave. And man, if you, if you could maybe give a little less content, not, not so much volume, you know, cause the volume sometimes is too much, 
reduce the volume of content. And then what if we could practice it a little bit, you know? And so that was one of the little tweaks we did. So you observed a really amazing thing. You picked up on something here and you said, wow, if we could tweak this and make it a little simpler, you got it solid biblically, and then find a way to practice it. And then let's, let's hammer and work down, work on that three thirds piece. And, and by the end, you know, the, the, the guys were making that course correction, which is going to actually, um, you know, sometimes I think we think, Hey, if I, if I give everybody all the information, all the volume of my knowledge, that somehow they're going to be a better disciple. Well, it could be actually you're giving them too much. And what they need instead is a little piece. And practice it in a little piece and practice it in a little piece and practice it in a little piece and practice it. That's the way it was in sports for me. That was, that's the way it's been in a lot of areas as um, my, my background sort of a mechanic a long time ago is it was learn a little, practice it, learn a little, practice it, learn a little. It wasn't getting it all at once. And so I think reducing volume, but solid biblical, simple. And then if you can get to the reproduction by adding the practice piece in. And so it was really um, amazing. Um, you know, by the end of the observation, we're, we're watching them. Um, so I, I was never getting up there teaching lessons or, hey, you know, translate. It was just observation. By the end, you're seeing them really follow a tight three-thirds. And then you're seeing them take the material they love and they designed and they worked on it, but yet they want their disciples to be healthy and, and realizing that sometimes the volume's creating confusion, make it a little simpler, get them practicing it. You can still eventually cover the same amount of stuff. You just, you just stretch it out a little bit. And so it was really exciting to see those little tiny tweaks, which will make big differences. And then one of the other really fun things we had that was a big learning um, thing is, um, we, we um, only talked about grandchildren. So we just constantly talked about grandchildren. You know, so a lot of time we'd say second or third generation. But we just, just tell me, um, you know, Ali, Muhammad, you know, um, any, any of the men's names that, um, you know, we can't use. But we just say, hey, tell me about your grandchildren. And um, so how many times are your grandchildren sharing the gospel? How is your grandchild doing at discipling somebody? Um, what are the activities your grandchildren are doing? And it was amazing when you threw that little shift. And so I, we remember, the, you know, the first week um, we came back to meet with one of the teams, and there were five different teams doing this. And one of the teams came back, and uh, so how many how many gospel shares did the grandchildren get? And um, I want to say it was three. And um, well, how many um, people came to Christ? They, they had somebody come to Christ, but they also they had one grandchild baptism that week. And, um, all right, well, now tell me about the children, you know? And so we, we began to talk about the children and, um, they had 15, um, gospel shares that week. And I think they had maybe four baptisms of, uh, children that week. And, um, so it's great. Well, what, what they did the week before is they spent all their time equipping the children, how to share the gospel. Now they'd already equipped them, but they went back and strengthened them. Well, that resulted immediately in a few more of them. Well, what, what then did the children do? The children strengthened the grandchildren, which led into one baptism. Well, now we meet the second week. So the second week, um, this particular same group, if we're walking you through it, they um, man, how'd, how'd the grandchildren do this week? You know, and so they shared that week. Um, there were seven, eight gospel shares of uh, the grandchildren and three baptisms. And the children had 30 plus gospel shares and seven or eight baptisms. 
And, and so we told them, they, we, we said, we don't want to hear about you. So the, the leaders were not allowed to report how many times they shared the gospel. They weren't allowed to report how much they discipled. They were only focusing on the children. Well, if you are asking your child about the grandchild, what will the child ask about for his grandchild? He's going to ask his child about the grandchild, which immediately forced a lot more discipleship. And, um, uh, and so by the, uh, right after we left, um, actually, I think we were still in Europe. We were in Czech Republic. Um, we got word that there was a great, great grandchild, um, baptism or baptizer, I should say. And so it, it was just exciting for me. My big takeaway, and I picked this up from watching Ryan Alberson, was the power of observation. You know, that you can learn a lot. Actually, if you watch the process and you watch what people are doing, you can pick up. And it, now it's, it's really helpful to have language, obviously. But in a place like right now, what happens to be going on in Europe, um, there is no good language. It's the truth. And yay, learn one for sure. But you, you're not going to learn them all, you know, but you can learn a lot through observation and just watching and um, and then help um, bring the obstacle to light and then work with uh, instead of imposing, work with them to figure out solutions. So they own the solutions. So um, that was a big um, uh it really made me think, you know, strategically on some things in the future of how we might do some things differently when it comes to more of a, a problem-solving approach versus, because a lot of times you just go in, hey, I got four days, I'm going to wing it, throw something, see what sticks on the wall, you know, and that's sometimes what you have to do when you're in a setting where you don't understand. But man, the power of observation on the front side um, was really a very helpful piece for this and um, something you need to really think through about in the future of how, how could you work and help teams or hubs in the future in problem solving. And this might be a piece of it is, is that. Yeah, we actually had a mid-level with some of these national brothers and in that mid-level went through Acts and Corinthians since we were close to Corinth. And that was one thing that came out is, okay, this is where Paul started in this exact same region. And he was able to say, well, there's no place left. I'm going on to Spain, which at that time was the ends of the earth. Um, and that we are poised right back in the same area, but watching God's bring people in that are then going back out to these same areas and affecting that same region. So that was really interesting um, to, yeah, draw a parallel between 2,000 years ago and today and what God is doing in that area. Um, yeah, and a fun little story was we were with um, Austin Stone, uh, a few guys from Austin Stone, and, and a guy named Joey. And so Joey, um, we're, we're up on Mars Hill, you know, because you can't help but go to Mars Hill. And so we were doing an iron and iron. And so um, Angie was uh, leading our study, and we were looking at Acts versus Corinth. And so she's leading the study, so she asked somebody to read. Well, Joey um, decides as loud as he can on Mars Hill in the evening, it's packed full of people. He le reads um, Paul's sermon as loud as he can. 
and you, you hear a few people going, hey, man, there was, you know, some Koreans over here. And then there was, um, you know, and, and some literally some people came up. And, and one of the funny things is one guy came up and um, it was almost in the end, we literally had an Epicurean and we had a Stoic. So we had a, a, a man who was an atheist who'd been through um, the war in Croatia and had a lot of scars and a lot of hurts. I mean, physical scars, but also just emotional scars. And just um, so we ended up, you know, talking with him and sharing the gospel. And um, and he kept bantering. And, and there was a, a Muslim man also that there was there was a conversation going on there um, on a separate thing. And, and I remember we were standing there and I'm just sort of out of ideas, you know, because this guy's just, you know, been through crazy um, crazy um, experiences as we're sharing the gospel with him. And uh, Lindsay um, just said, hey, can I pray for you? And he said, pray if you want. There's no God. He's not going to hear you. But but she just started to pray and tears came and um, and she's, she's praying uh, for him. And, and you could just, in the end, he said, thank you for the prayers. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't believe and um, he said, I, I wish I could. I don't know how to, but thank you. And, and it was amazing that point in time, how a mom's heart and her prayer literally, you know, reaching out to God just touched this man's heart who really came up to debate there on Mars Hill, just like you would have seen in Acts 17. And so we ended up having two gospel shares there in the midst of um, our, our iron on iron and one's an Epicurean and one's a Stoic. And so it was just um, fascinating when you looked around there on Mars Hill of all the different people from all the different places around the world. And I don't mean just the tourists. I mean, literally, a, a lot of these were the refugees who were there in this community. And then um, we went to, uh, in, in the midst of this training, this unique opportunity, you know, if you're in Athens, we're, we're doing our training. And so we decided to actually do our mid-level retreat in Corinth, and, um, and and so we spend the day in Corinth, and we've read First and Second Corinthians, and we've read through Acts um, seventeen and eighteen in in depth, and just been studying the Word for three days. And uh, one of the brothers um, came up, um, and he just recently had been to um, uh, where I can't think where you can put a f- one foot in France and one foot in Germany and one foot in um, Switzerland maybe is that right is that Basel I think so he's he's there right on the river and um, and he's he's just sensing from God that man this is the time this is the place to reach um, uh, his people um, and, and just his love and passion for the people from the, the Middle East. And, and so he's sharing this after he's gone through, through this study in the Word, and he's just going, this is the place we're going to do it. This is the place that I'm committed to. And he's just adamant, um, and just uh, it, was, um, it was just like the Spirit of God came over him that, that moment. And you just had this sense of, you know, I mean, you knew this guy's in the right place, the right time. And God's called him to reach his people, um, the Arabic speakers in this place. And so it was a really um, uh, amazing moment just to think of, man, here's where it started. And God's um, using this in a whole different way now um, in, in this point in time in history. 